Understanding in the Field, a podcast by Perennia, highlighting production practices, pest management, and more for field crops in Nova Scotia. I'm your host and Provincial Field Crop Specialist, Caitlin Condon. This episode, I'm joined by Dr. Heidi Reed, an agronomy educator at Pennsylvania State University Extension. Heidi provides research-based educational programming based on local grower interests and needs, including corn, soybean, and small grain production, soil health and cover crops, soil fertility management, hay production and pasture management, and pesticide safety. Our topic of discussion today is planting soybeans into green cover crops. Welcome Heidi, thanks for being here with me today. Thanks for having me. Let's give you a little bit of a background on kind of the situation in Nova Scotia in relation to cover cropping. A winter wheat corn soybean rotation would be a pretty common one. We're mainly de- dealing with livestock feed. So when we're looking for places to add cover crops to that, the low hanging fruit is pretty much after the winter wheat going into corn. So that would be fall rye, maybe a frost seeded red clover or some sort of an annual mix, like an OP radish mix that would winter kill. There is some interseeding of cover crops into corn, but half the corn grown is used for silage and the other half would be for grain. So grain corn in Nova Scotia isn't coming off until really well into October. So it really doesn't leave time for cover crop establishment unless it were underseeded beforehand. But there is definitely some opportunity to get something in after a shorter season corn silage. And there's been growing interest in incorporating more cover crops into rotations. And especially recently, we've had some funding programs in place that are supporting that. So that's been great. And besides soil health, one of the emerging concerns is fertility, of course, and the rising price of nitrogen fertilizer. So there's interest in alternative strategies to build and maintain soil health and fertility as well. So can you tell me a little bit about how you got interested in cover crops and planting green? Sure. Well, I approach my interest in cover crops from environmental conservation type of perspective, as well as seeing the potential for improving profitability for growers. I I didn't grow up on a farm, but grew up in a farming community and have just always been interested in the plant and soil side of agriculture. And I got into cover crops simply because I, I found this excellent project at Penn State with Dr. Heather Karsten to pursue a graduate degree and learned most of what I know through that research and during my time in extension since finishing that. So that is how I got into learning about cover crops. And since then, I've, I wouldn't say I'm evangelize about cover crops, but it's certainly one of one of my passions is trying to promote cover crop adoption because I've seen all the benefits that cover crops can have both for farmers and for the environment. And and planting green was the vehicle for all of that learning. Awesome. Yeah. Great. Our topic today is planting green and we're going to look at that from a soybean perspective. So let's start off with what is the benefit of planting green versus like a fall terminated cover crop or a pre-plant terminated cover crop? I would say in one word, it's biomass. So previous years and years of research studies and 
from our experience show that the more biomass you have with your cover crop, the more benefits you get out of it. The longer the roots, living roots are in the ground, the more we're mimicking the natural vegetation, the natural system, the more benefits we're getting. So by waiting to terminate cover crops until later in the spring, we're certainly getting an immense amount of biomass compared to a fall terminated or winter killed cover crop. Right. Uh, that oat peas, radish residue is breaking down by the time we're planting the spring crop. When mm. we're planting green, that residue can last through the growing season, uh, providing benefits all the way. And then we see more biomass, but to a lesser degree, comparing the early terminated spring, the pre-plant killed spring cover crop to mm-hmm. the planted green. So with uh, more biomass, we have benefits. I think the most tangible for farmers right now is weed suppression. Mm-hmm. We're seeing immense capabilities for suppressing weeds, especially herbicide-resistant weeds, mm. uh, with especially a heavy rye or triticale biomass. There's, it wasn't my research, but continued research from Dr. John Wallace at Penn State has shown incredible potential to suppress mare's tail. We call it a caniza species mm-hmm. resistant weed, as well as the amaranthus mm-hmm. species, pigweeds, which are really problematic for our growers and robbing yields. So there's that weed suppression potential. We also have from the environmental standpoint, water quality standpoint, mm-hmm. the nitrogen holding capacity of that huge biomass. Yeah. And especially thinking about the way input prices are looking right now, mm-hmm. holding on to that fertility is important. Yeah, really maximizing what we have available already or and not. Right. Not letting it escape. (laughs) Not letting it escape. And it is a bit of a double-edged sword thinking about non-leguminous species. So they're holding on to that N. They're not letting it escape. But that also means that the N is not available early in the season for, you know, your N-hungry crops. It's not as much of an issue for soybeans, which we're getting to later why soybeans work so well. But another benefit of that continuous cover, living roots, higher biomass is habitat for our good bugs. Mm-hmm. Other Penn State research has, has shown that when we have uh, habitat, we see increased populations of beneficial insects like ground beetles that we know are providing you know, suppression of the bad bugs. We see some potential for you know, maintaining the biodiversity Mm-hmm. Getting habitat for the good bugs to hopefully keep the bad bugs down. But, you know, like I said, double-edged sword where we have more biomass, we also have more management to think about yeah. and a couple of challenges to deal with. So for sure. Yeah. And that's that's the short list of benefits. I'd say I won't ramble on much longer about that. But. No, that's a it's a great place to start, I think. Yeah. So what is it about soybeans that lend themselves to planting green versus corn? So I alluded to it a second ago with the N issue. Mm. That's a big one, you know, with the biological N fixation. If we have a, a big rye or triticale cover crop ahead of time, taking up nitrogen, that's not as much of an issue with soybeans as it would be with corn. Right. So we do see 
the need to add additional N up front mm -hmm. uh, when we're proceeding a corn crop with a big cover like that, just because, you know, it's the cover's holding on to all that N, which eventually gets released, but it's not synchronized at the right time we found with the late termination. Right. So there's the ability to grow in a lower end environment with the soybeans. Uh, there's mm -hmm. also the ability to compensate in situations where populations are reduced. Okay. So when we have yeah. really high biomass. It does sometimes cause issues with planting and things like that. So we might seed 150,000 per acre and soybean can still maintain two thirds of that. Right. You know, so it has the ability to branch, add additional flowers, additional mm -hmm. pods, whereas corn, basically your population sets your yield. Right. We have the capability for one year pretty much. So, yeah, those, so the soybeans uh, are a little more resilient to yes. the competition. Yeah, the plasticity, the ability to adapt to the low populations, definitely a benefit of, of soybeans. And then also just the, the nitrogen dynamics. If, if we do see any changes in pest populations, mm -hmm. in our experience, when, when we set out with uh, our research, we hypothesized that we'd see less slug feeding in mm -hmm. planting green because we were providing alternative food for the slugs we thought maybe they wouldn't attack our cash crops right <laughs> that didn't uh pan out as well as we had thought it would based on grower anecdotes but we saw mixed results so in some instances less slug feeding in mm -hmm. some instances more but all in all soybeans are incredibly resilient to defoliation mm -hmm. once it's got its true leaves Right. So if we can get the plant emerged and we can get it to put on a couple trifoliates, yeah. if you do have weird, unexpected changes in, you know, your pest populations, it's okay. Soybeans can, can handle it. Can you describe kind of a typical year of field operations for planting soybeans green? So mm -hmm. when would you plant the cover crop? Is the timing of the main crop going to change? When would you terminate? Things like mm -hmm. that. So planting of the cover crop, you're pretty limited, right? Based on your cropping system. So if someone is planting cover crops after wheat comes off, so in this area, that's mid-July approximately, mm -hmm. that's a long time for cover crops to grow in the fall. So pairing planting green with a late summer seeded cover crop is that is going to be a lot of biomass. It, it would it's a be a lot of stuff to deal with. Yeah, really, truly better suited to the situations where you're following a grain corn around here, you know, planting rye in November or something like that. And it's a way to get more out of your late planted cover crops or get more out of a really low seeding rate. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yeah. Give it more time to grow in the spring, time to tiller out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So that said, whenever you can plant in, in the fall, basically around here, it's late October through mid-December, even mm -hmm. after full season soybeans oh, wow. or uh, grain corn. Um, and then in the spring, we would typically be planting anywhere from 
in, in the southern inches of, of the state, like early to mid-April for soybeans, late April to early May for corn, and then through May into June for both of those crops. It, there's a very large window. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but what I'll say about that is when we have all that biomass, it, it dries the soil out. Usually mm-hmm. if we have that transpiration, the plants are taking up soil moisture. So it dries the soil, but it also cools the soil because we have mm-hmm. shading and that evaporative cooling effect. So on one hand, you could potentially plant a little earlier than you normally would in an early mm-hmm. pre-plant kill no-till cover crop system. If it's drier around you mentioned that your springs can be wet sometimes. Yeah, so definitely drying up that soil, the planting green could allow you to get in sooner just solely based on soil readiness. Right. You have to balance that with the cooler soil temps. Right. So in the end, it depends what your goals are. You know, if you have a lot of acres to cover mm-hmm. and you would prefer to get in sooner, you can, you know, prioritize that if you Mm -hmm. have a little more time to wait and you want to ensure that your soybeans emerge quickly, then you can wait a little bit longer. If you do plant earlier or into uh, planting green, it can be a good idea to to make sure to have a fungicide seed treatment because of the cooler soil. Okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Which can, you know, increase the early season diseases you know, what type of equipment you have to handle all of the biomass and Mm -hmm. how confident you are that, you know, your planters delivering good seed to soil contact Mm -hmm. versus, you know, something like a drill, which you are getting less precision and maybe not quite as good of a stand off the bat. So more and more people doing it, and doing it successfully, especially with soybeans. So this is not to scare people off. It's just to put all the considerations out there. Yeah, you really have to plan it out and think it, mm-hmm. think it over as mm-hmm. it relates to the whole system. I'd say we kind of have a cutoff mid-October for planting winter wheat. That's kind of what we say. That's kind of your last chance yeah, to over. plant winter wheat. And that changes a little bit depending where you are in the province. And there's certainly people planting a little bit later than that when forced, but it would be similar for cover crops. I would like by the end of October, there's not a lot going in. Our Novembers can be variable. Um, We could get a bunch of snow mid-November and and that would be it. Or this, Mm -hmm. like this year, we had a fairly mild fall up until just recently, but Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely depends on the year. And then spring, like you said, we, we're fairly damp in the spring. That can be oftentimes the limiting factor for getting on the fields earlier. And yeah, soybeans, we're trying to plant probably mid-May uh, or early to mid-May. Mm-hmm. And certainly some are pushing later than that as well. But yeah, that's kind of our, our timeline. Uh, so it would be great to have a strategy to help dry things out a little more and, mm-hmm. and maybe get on a little earlier. You know, what I was thinking is planting green can be used in a targeted manner. Mm-hmm. If you have soils with a little higher clay content that are mm-hmm. not as well drained, 
uh, take longer to, to dry out in the spring. Yeah. Certainly try this there first. Maybe mm-hmm. if you have really productive, well-drained soils that you don't want to, you know, you like the way that your management works and, and you don't think this would work there. Yeah. Uh, maybe don't target the practice there, but also it's good to think about it in, in that tactical kind of way too. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a one size. Well, it's definitely not a one size fits all. It's, you know, is it where it makes the most sense? What about timing of termination? So planting green can be done a million different ways. Some folks might have the capability, some planters you can plant and they have you know, sprayer attachments, plant oh, cool. and spray all in one pass that mm-hmm. has worked well. And some folks even have like roll crimp, plant and pass, plant and spray all in one pass. But it's a lot really, of implements in one. <laughs> it is. Yeah. Yeah. And so that might exclude some people, but truly planting and then coming back later that day to spray yeah. that has worked well. And most people are using glyphosate mm-hmm. in this system or paraquat, you know, right. for burn down. Yeah. Um, and so there's the plant and then spray the, the same day, the next day, within a couple mm-hmm. of days before, definitely before crop emergence. emergence. Right. Some folks have tried with, you know, glyphosate tolerant crops. Mm-hmm terminating two or three weeks after planting. So that would be after crop emergence. I personally can't recommend that with- That feels risky. (laughs) It's risky. Some people have seen no no effect to their yield or have have liked the way that that works, especially because you get even more time if you have a a field with herbicide resistant weeds, you really, really get a lot of weed suppression, but it's, it's risky and you do get more, you know, interference with that cover Mm -hmm. crop and the cash crop. So you can get some leggy, really spindly soybeans and yeah, it's just not as, not as nice, but yeah. Yeah. Generally we recommend terminating within three or four days of planting mm-hmm. crop emergence. What type of cover crops are typically being used for planting green? You've heard me talk about cereal rye a yep. lot. That's simply because it's the most widely used cover crop in our area. Yep, pretty popular here too. <laughs> it's affordable. It gets you the most biomass fast. It overwinters sure. the best. It's our most cold tolerant. We're seeing more and more farmers move towards winter wheat, especially because they can use bin run seed. They can right. save seed. It's it's the cheapest option. They can still get a good amount of biomass. And they are liking that it matures a little bit later in the spring because cereal rye can get out of control. Yeah. And it can be six feet tall before you know it. And and if you don't have the equipment to handle that, that's it's not a good situation. Yeah. So some folks with a big old roller crimper can plant green into that and have excellent success. But if you don't have a roller, I wouldn't suggest planting yeah. with that huge cover. So so rye, winter wheat, obviously triticale somewhere in between mm-hmm. those two, but not used 
as much just because it's not as available. Right. Um, annual ryegrass has been used. Okay. I would caution folks with that one because it is a little bit more challenging to kill. If it gets too mature, it will take multiple full rates of glyphosate to kill it. Yeah. I've worked with a few farmers who really like the way an annual ryegrass crimson clover mixture works for planting green. You get, um, it's not quite as high carbon Mm -hmm. uh, cover crop. So it's a little less stemmy to plant. Right. And then they have the benefits of having the legume in there, a little bit of nitrogen and, you know, the pollinator benefits, but it can work. Again, I would caution folks, they just need to be on top of their herbicide program. One of the benefits to cover crops like or small grains, mm-hmm. and I'll add hairy vetch as another option mm-hmm. uh, for the planting green that we can talk about a little more later, but those cover crops are partially killed by roll crimping. Mm-hmm if they're rolled at the right stage. So if it's, it would be after anthesis. So after like pollen shedding for Mm -hmm. the small grains and after I think 50% bloom for hairy vetch, taking a roller crimper over those will like snap the stem Mm -hmm. hopefully and provide at least some kill with your annual ryegrass. It's just the the crimper's pushing it down. So it's helping with your competition for sunlight, uh, but it's not providing any kill. Annual ryegrass does have a really nice fibrous root system. So Mm -hmm. for like soil health benefits, annual ryegrass is is a good one. Mm -hmm. And it does give you a lot of ground cover. But again, I, I caution people and it's, you know, there are more affordable options out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, Hairy vetch is a good option for planting green. Um, You can get more biomass out of it. It does provide good weed suppression, uh, at least early in the growing season before that residue decomposes because it's higher in nitrogen. But you can also maximize your N out of that legume by planting a little later. And we actually you know, my studies didn't look too much at hairy vetch besides at one farmer site, but we know from some organic no-till research at Penn State that hairy vetch can work well in a no-till, right. no-till yeah. rolled system. So, and that's another one where you can get five feet tall. So requires a roller and a good planter to work with that. Are there any special equipment requirements? So either determine, we talked a little bit about the roller crimper, so maybe we can describe that a little more, but also anything you need to be aware of on the planter. I like to tell people that you don't need any special equipment if you're managing for the amount of biomass that you have. Uh, A good no-till planter and good repair with sharp implements and Mm -hmm. well-maintained will handle a good amount of biomass. 
but I think we found and farmers we work with have found for anything over knee high, you really do want to roll crimp mm-hmm. in that cover crop. You want to knock it down because if you don't, you just have, it's just a mess. Sure. There's a bunch of different ways to roll crimp. There's special, specialized roller crimpers that Mm -hmm. basically just a big hollow drum you can fill it with water for additional weight and it has like a chevron pattern ridge on it to help crimp uh those i think came out of rodale institute organic research institute but now there's multiple manufacturers of those for commercial scale yeah there's a couple kicking around here Mm -hmm. oh good yeah Yeah. not widely used but Yeah, and those are heavy. You need to have the horsepower and ability to move them around, but they are going to provide your most thorough kill. Yeah. They're basically required if you want to kill cover crops with without herbicide. And so yeah, for sure. But they're also helpful for folks in conventional systems. There is also some manufacturers, uh, the one I know of is Dawn Manufacturing. They make what they call zone residue managers. It's basically mm-hmm. mini rollers on every row unit. Right, yeah. So you can you get those added to your planter. Um, I think right now it only works for 30-inch or you know, wider rows. Yep. But those provide you that one pass, mm-hmm. kind of pushing down the cover crop and planting at the same time, simply because it doesn't have the weight at, of the big drum yeah. roller crimpers. It doesn't give you that killing, terminating power, right. but it can definitely, it does just what it says. It manages the residue. Yeah. Kind of facil- um, facilitates the planting a little better. Exactly. Exactly. And you can throw there's a million and one different attachments you can put on your planter. There's, (laughs) you know, the different style cultures. Every farmer likes a certain one. Yeah. A certain (laughs) one. There's your row cleaners that can help move that residue away from the furrow, which can be a benefit in these heavy cover crop systems, but also can be a headache because of wrapping. Of right. the cover crop. So there's also all different kinds of closing wheels that mm-hmm. people like to use. It's I it sounds like a cop out as an extension agent to say like figure out what you like the best, but that's everyone truly has a different preference. Yeah, no, and different attachments work for different soil types and different cover crop situations. And yeah. So, so. a little bit of trial and error. Trial and error, play yeah, around what works with for you, yeah. that. If you can borrow a friend, like trade, trade amongst yourself. Yeah, or, for sure. I actually know one farmer who, you know, on his six row planter, he tested out six different combinations of things, one on mm-hmm. each row unit and oh, cool. you know, some strips and found out what he liked best that way. So, oh, that's awesome. That'd be yeah, cool yeah. There's definitely some innovative folks uh, working on that, but yeah, find what you like. Um, and every, I'll say the one non-negotiable is 
you need to calibrate your planters mm-hmm. and drills. Yep. Um, you need to make sure all of your openers are tight and sharp and everything's in good repair. Mm-hmm. And also you need to get out of the tractor and check your depth, check yeah. to make sure you're comfortable with, yeah, what you're things are set properly it's yeah, what you exactly. want it to do. Yeah, for sure. The last thing you want to do is plant 50 acres and realize that because you have 5,000, 10,000 pounds of biomass, you're only yeah. getting a quarter inch deep. So yeah. setting um, your depth a little deeper mm-hmm. is usually a good idea because you, you're so dealing with more on the surface. What would you say is the biggest challenge? Well, with soybeans, the challenges are few, I would say. That's um, good. That's encouraging. <laughs> I would say, I would, the first thing that comes to mind is the biggest challenge is nitrogen management uh, and getting a good stand mm-hmm. residue management, but that's more applicable to corn. So with soybeans, yes. I mean, truly, to start. They, you dump them on the soil surface and they'll <laughs> kind of grow. Not, you know, uh, an agronomist preferred situation, (laughs) but yeah, um, I would say residue management, certainly. I know, you know, farmers dealing with the wrapping of the rye around the closing wheels and Mm -hmm. uh, the the row cleaners and stuff is a huge headache, but once they play around with it and find something that they like, they usually stick with it. Yeah. What kind of management would be required in season to ensure that you still have a healthy crop? Or is there any differences between just straight planting your crop and, and planting it green? Either corn or soybeans. We, you want to talk more about soybeans. They certainly scouting regularly, mm-hmm. keeping your eye on potential pests. Uh, yeah. if, if you're new to the practice, you're probably, there might be some surprises that you, PESEC just could pop up that you weren't expecting. Right. Um, so it's good to scout regularly, keep an eye on your economic thresholds, your action thresholds, and act mm-hmm. appropriately. Accordingly. Yeah. But that goes for growing a crop in any <laughs> management, right? Uh, yeah. Well, and especially so, when you're trying something new. Um, yes. Yeah, just really closely monitoring it at every step of the process to see what's different from what you're used to and and be able to make adjustments along the way. That's right. So yeah, once the crop is in the ground, management is not all that different from the way you would manage uh, your typical crop. Mm -hmm. You may find, and I would bet that you will find fewer weeds. So you can, you know, continue to scout and, Make sure you're not just doing a preemptive spray because you've always Mm -hmm. sprayed your post at this rate and this product, you know, make sure you're spraying for the weeds that you have. Right. And, you know, potentially easing up on the weed scientists will not like that I say. (laughs) You may find that you have less need for residual herbicide. So there's some cost saving potential there, but Mm -hmm. most of the management is upfront with the planting green. So that includes the previous fall when you're actually sowing the cover crop. Mm -hmm. So 
I, I feel like I'm turning your question on its head. No, that's okay. <laughs> Going, managing the cover crop before you get to planting, I would say, if you know you're going to plant green, potentially cut back on your seeding rate. Right. Because you have more time, especially if you're small grains, more tillering is probably mm-hmm. going to happen. You just are going to have more growth out of each individual seed. So even right. fewer seeds. That it's also important to pay attention to your fertility. If you have, you know, a lot of manure history on a field mm-hmm. and you know you're going to have more time in the spring for that to be taken up, you can, again, cut back on your seeding rate, things like that. And then additional nitrogen up front. Yeah. So we always recommend split applications of nitrogen for corn yep. um, as a best practice. And so maybe you usually do a third up front and two thirds at side dress, potentially mm-hmm. switching that to provide okay. more nitrogen up front because a lot of that N initially is going to be going to the soil microbes as they're breaking right. down. Cover crop. Yeah. So something to think about. What would be a, a typical seeding rate that you would use for, say, fall rye? If I knew I were going to be planting green, mm-hmm. uh, my research showed that you can cut back to 30 pounds per acre, so like a half okay. bushel per acre. Yep. We found there was no difference in biomass with a half bushel compared to two bushels when we planted green. Oh, so wow. There's cool. just enough time for that cover crop to compensate, bump yep. up your seeding rate. So we've had um, a lot more variable rain events in recent years than we used to. So we had an extremely dry year last year in 2020. And this year was odd. We definitely had more precipitation overall, but it tended to come in very concentrated time periods. So we'd have a whole lot of rain and then nothing for a few weeks. And then and sometimes that was only in one area and then there was just really sprinkles somewhere else. Mm-hmm. So that's been one of our challenges, of course, um, and water holding capacity to of the soil to kind of tide us over in those dry times has been important. How would planting green function under that sort of a weather extreme and maybe benefit? Yeah. Yeah, I see a lot of potential for just what you're talking about in those type of variable weather situations for planting green to be a benefit. So Mm -hmm. we did see, we do see the greatest benefit to planting green in terms of, you know, benefit to crop production when we have a wet spring and Mm -hmm. then a dry summer. So we get the soil drying benefit of that living cover crop early, help you get into the field sooner, help prepare the seed bed a little better. But then when things dry out in the summertime, if you do have a a short season of drought, all that cover crop biomass, that mature high carbon, Mm -hmm. you know, stemmy stuff sitting on the surface is trapping in moisture. and, And we have seen significantly wetter soils later in the growing season into July and even into August in in some instances with the planting green compared to the Mm. early field cover crop. So huge, huge opportunity for tidying the crop through a drought. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, there is a risk in a dry spring. So mm-hmm. I would not recommend the practice if early to mid-May things have been dry. There's right. no rain in the forecast. Just kill that cover crop and right. save the rest of your uh that soil water for your main crop. Mm-hmm. And that is that the beauty of this is that it's you're not locked in if you decide yeah, in true. October that you want to plant green. If May comes around and you, you get sense anymore, you know, it doesn't work out, then you can yep. just cut the cover crop. So you're still getting yeah. benefits of a cover crop, uh, just you know, maybe not quite as much biomass. And that's any cover crop's a good one in my eyes. Also mentioned the severity of the rainfall events mm-hmm. and just another benefit to that soil armor, that heavy yeah. cover crop is reducing rainfall impact. Yeah. And everything in place. Exactly. We, we didn't specifically measure, quantify, you know, soil conservation in mm-hmm. my research, but there's enough prior studies that show if soil is covered, you're reducing rainfall impact, uh, you're reducing sediment loss, and you're, you're keeping your soil on your farm, yeah. and it's not washing into the neighbor's creek. So it's only beneficial in, in those circumstances. Uh, so let's wrap up with what advice would you give someone looking to try to plant green for the first time? We've kind of covered that a little bit throughout, but. Yeah, well, what I haven't said is 100% find a farmer who's doing it Mm -hmm. and who's good at doing it. Yeah. And, you know, learn from them. They're the ones who are really in the field. I've done a couple of years of research, but yeah, certainly learning from someone who's done it is the best advice I can give. Yeah. And other than that, it's uh, start small, you know, don't put in 100% of your acreage into to planting green year one, give it a go, try it out with soybeans. Mm-hmm. If it works with soybeans and you want to try it with corn, but it's not an all or nothing thing. It's totally. whatever you're comfortable with. So that's yeah, it. no, I really liked your point earlier about using it in strategic places yep those fields where they sit wet or fields where you have a perennial um not a perennial weed problem but weed problems every year yeah no definitely a good place to to start start for sure well thank you so much for joining me it's been uh very educational and i hope you enjoyed it yeah i hope to see some people trying this in the future Yeah, good luck to the listeners, and you're welcome to share my contact information. I don't know if people want to reach out to me down here in Pennsylvania, but it's always good to have another resource, and we have some fact sheets that we can share. Thank you for listening to this episode of Outstanding in the Field. Stay tuned for a written summary of this episode coming up in the next edition of the CropLinks newsletter, which you can subscribe to by visiting our website www.perennia.ca. Subscribe to the podcast to stay up to date on future episodes. Follow us on social media at NS Perennia. Thanks to Perennia for supporting this podcast and our marketing and communications team, Moira Anderson and Patty Ryan for production and design.